we are hoping to show you just what is possible out there in our strange and wondrous world. One of the dogs started to howl. Almost immediately, all 400 dogs that were there started to howl along with it. We travel for business. We travel for pleasure. The conditions can change so quickly, and it became very challenging to maneuver that kayak. We travel to expand our minds. Of course, the most dangerous animal in Africa is the hippo. More people are killed by hippos than anything else. Whether it's one state over. I was looking for a longer treatment, like 90 days, six months, and my treatment plan was to go hike the Appalachian Trail. Or halfway around the globe this fantastic high desert. You watch the sky at night, so you just see the Milky Way and shooting stars. If the world's a book, why only read one page? I'm Elizabeth Hill, and you're listening to a WAMC Northeast Public Radio production. This is Postcards from the Road. Traveling to gardens across the globe, 44-year-old Sarah Scarborough has devoted the past 20 years of her life to learning the history and culture of tea. And culture of tea. Fulfilling her dreams to source her own ethically grown tea someday, Scarborough launched Firepot Nomadic Teas in 2001. Since, the company has flourished as a member of 1% for the planet, incorporating social, environmental, and financial sustainability in all that they do. Scarborough says Firepot remained on the back burner for years before she brought her dream to life. When I started it, I had just come off about a decade of working in sustainable agriculture. And up until that point, I was really passionate about making a difference in the world and being part of sustainable agriculture. At the time that I started Firepot Chai, I was in a life transition in a way and um, got a job working at a Tibetan tea house in Bozeman, Montana. And it was there that I began working with chai recipes and ultimately came up with the recipe for Firepot Chai which was a riff on the recipe that we were using at the tea house, which was called Tibetan Trader and Tea House. And so the tea house shortly thereafter closed, and I had started to experiment with brewing and bottling and blending the chai on my own. And so when the tea house closed and people in Bozeman were still craving the chai, it just naturally turned into a business. And I was really, really turned on by the idea of connecting tea lovers with tea growers to improve the lives of both. That was really firing me up at the time, and I was really curious about learning about sustainable agriculture beyond farming and local agriculture and looking at commodity trade and looking at the coffee industry and the tea industry and people around the world who were suffering poverty and trafficking and chemical use and all of these things because of the tea industry. So really Firepot was started in the beginning to improve the lives of those people that are growing tea and also those people that are drinking tea. And it seemed like this really beautiful bridge to me at the time, how powerful that this plant that we love to enjoy so much in our country with gingerbread and scones and other things. And, and it can also, you know, bring me health benefits and also bring me a time to connect with friends and to slow down. And it can then, also bring the women who are picking and growing the leaves a better quality of life and get them out of some of these situations of cycles of poverty and trafficking and pesticide exposure if done properly. And so it just, you know, Firepot Chai just 
rolled and I had friends show up, make me labels and help me design a website and, you know, help me even begin, learn what it was to begin a business. And so there was a steep learning curve, but it really, really felt like I was on my path. You know, everything flowed, everything was very illuminated. It was all very exciting. And I took all the money I had in my bank account and bought spices and shelving and packaging and (laughs) printed labels and set up a shop where I was living in Bozeman. You know, my sales approach was really funny back then because I was so passionate about what I was doing (laughs) that I would go and meet with store owners. And instead of saying, hey, can I bring you a sample of my tea? I think you'll really like it. Your customers will like it. It was more of this, what is the matter with you that you're not also wanting to save the world? And this chai will help you save the world and save people across the world and it was more of like a moral <laughs> a moral slam than than a soft approach of see if you like this chai but it did really well and it started to pick up and you know I picked up some accounts locally in Montana and then started to sell as I said online then shortly thereafter moved to Alaska and continued to sell the chai online picked up some accounts, you know, through friends or wherever I would be in Oregon and in Alaska, California. I'd found out about this trade show that was happening in San Francisco. Got a last minute spot at the trade show and was invited to exhibit the chai at the trade show. And because it was so last minute, they were able to give me this great deal and flew down and did my first trade show where I met a lot of great people in the industry and began to pick up more accounts throughout the U.S., not just where I had lived, Montana and Alaska. And so these kinds of things just kept happening. I mean, these coincidences, and it just showed me that I was on my path. So I ran Fire Pot Chai like that, and then in another stroke of coincidence, got a phone call one day from an old friend who had been living in New Zealand, and he was partnered with a few other businessmen who had come together to create business, but they didn't really have a business idea. And so they invited me to come down and to talk to them. And I spent a couple weeks down there telling them what I was doing, why fair trade was important, why. Right. And then they asked me if I would move to New Zealand and start a fair trade tea, coffee and chocolate company that would give the multinationals a run for their money and oh. give people a more ethical alternative. And so, of course, I did. Right. <laughs> You know, when you get invited to move to New Zealand when you're 28 or 9, you say yes. Of course. And and so I moved down there, and we started this company, and it was called Scarborough Fair, and we got into all the grocery stores across Australia and New Zealand. We really pioneered the concept of fair trade into mainstream Australasia and created some really great products, tea, coffee, and chocolate. And after some time there, the company has since continued to grow and is still there, and I think even beyond at this point. But when I was living in New Zealand, I continued making fire pot chai, and I had some friends at the farmer's market that invited me to come sell chai at the market, and I would go to music festivals and make and sell chai. So I always had it running in the background, and I always knew that one day I would do something more with it. Yeah. But I really just kept it in my back pocket for a really long time. And so after New Zealand, I ended up moving back home to Nashville, and an old girlfriend of mine had had been watching what I'd been doing in New Zealand and was interested in starting a tea company, too. And so she asked me if I would move back to Nashville and start a tea company with her, and so we did. And that company was called Partners Tea Company, and it was a really beautiful boutique, fair trade organic 
line of teas with really fun names like Zelda and Sweet Friend Blend. Uh, So that company we started, and that was really focused on working with women and helping to empower and educate women. So I had about 10 eventually investors who were all women here in Nashville, and we gave 1% of sales to educate and empower women. And after some period of time, I ended up selling that company to the Republic of Tea because I went to work for them as a tea buyer. And so they bought Partners Tea Company, and that was early 2011. And then, you know, throughout the period of time that I was working with Republic of Tea, and even before that when I had Partners Tea, I was really just making the try on the side and for friends and people who loved it. I would send some off to aficionados in Montana or Alaska, people who needed their yearly supply, but I wasn't focusing on it. But again, I always knew that one day it was, was, Firepot always had such a powerful energy and such a good mission and it had such positivity associated with it that I knew that one day I would bring it back to life. And so my work with Republic of Tea required a lot of travel, and so I really wasn't home very much. Right. And so when I, at this point, I'd already gotten married, and when I was pregnant with my oldest son, who is about to turn seven, I um, traveled a lot with Republic of Tea, like way too much, to the point where my doctor said, you really need to not get on another airplane. And so by the end of that pregnancy, I was at home and I'd stopped working with Republic of Tea for that reason and spent some time at home and had a really beautiful few months before he was born. And then a few months after he was born, just at home and relaxing and not focusing on work or tea or anything except for him. And then I woke up, he was about three, four months old and I just had this surge of energy and I thought, I am ready to start Biopot again. You know, I, I had known it was going to come time to bring it back to life. And I knew then that that was the time to bring it back to life. So that was early 2013. And I just started making the try again. And I, you know, I rebranded and updated the packaging and decided that I would start to bottle and brew it. I'd always really resisted selling it bottled because I liked the idea of selling it loose leaf just for the environmental and carbon impact of not shipping water, you know, per se, or try concentrate around. Um, but once I started doing that, it just became so much more accessible for coffee shops. And I was able to pick up a lot of the local coffee shops in Nashville pretty easily. So you're based out of Nashville? Yeah, so I'm based in Nashville. So then fast forward a couple of years after that, I was pregnant with my second boy who just turned five. By that time, I had met my business partners in St. Louis. Right. And so the conversation that we had was, you know, what if we partner and create a bigger brand that's not just chai, but where I can actually be, we can work with all the teas that would, that we would want to serve a coffee shop or, you know, cafe or restaurant or campus or whatever. And so we partnered and that was, I believe in 2014 and began to grow the brand out and make it bigger. And so you know, over those years, we launched a whole line of loose leaf teas specifically for cafes and coffee shops. And do you now travel to various countries to obtain the tea? Yes. So now I'm back to traveling again. Um, we're actually, I'm just about to leave in a few days for a trip to Rwanda. So 
because of all the travel I did back in the early days of FirePod, it was so important for me then to really understand crop to cup, so the whole supply chain. And I spent a lot of time going direct to the source and didn't want to buy from importers. I wanted to buy everything direct. Right. Um, because I had those relationships established, it became pretty easy when we brought more tea besides chai into FirePod for me to then reach out to all those suppliers and get tea from them directly. So most of our teas are purchased directly from the garden. And that's just because I have something like 18 years now of traveling and having established those relationships. Right. So now I don't travel as much to discover new origins, but I do still some. So we buy, now we have a partnership in Rwanda with a women's university called Aquila Institute, and we give them 1% of all of our sales. They're doing amazing things to educate and empower women post-genocide Rwanda. And we also buy all of the black tea for our chai from an organic and fair trade garden in Rwanda. So we're taking a team of people to Rwanda in a few days to visit the tea gardens and to go to Aquila's 10-year graduation and just to work on more collaboration with them. Yeah. And And to deepen that partnership, we're talking about putting a tea bar on campus in Kigali. We're bringing a couple of people from Emory University who are interested in putting a tea bar on campus at Emory and really creating this bridge that I described that tea can be between origin and home and improving lives for tea drinkers and tea growers. How many countries do you have direct suppliers with? That's a great question. I don't know off the top of my head. Probably something like 10. And throughout Asia, Africa? We buy from Japan direct. We buy from Nepal direct. We buy from Taiwan in China. We buy from Rwanda and Sri Lanka. And actually, some of the teas from India and Sri Lanka now are more bulk teas, so we're not buying those direct. Sometimes we buy those through suppliers just because of the type of tea that they are. All the teas in our Masters and Pioneers collection for sure, which is a more seasonal and higher end line of just pure leaf tea, those all come directly from growers. And then most of the teas in our classic collection as well, but some of the teas from Sri Lanka and India that are more of a bulk kind of commodity tea, those we buy from importers. Or for our iced tea, you know, those have to be packaged into bags for iced tea. So those come from importers, but um, but yeah, it's always been really important to the company to to know the supply chain and not only just to buy organic and fair trade because those certifications are important, but it was always really important to me to understand the supply chain and to go to origin and to really just put my feet on the earth and to get a sense for where this tea was coming from and the energy of the place that it came from and the people. Having been to all of these countries, I'm sure you've experienced certain customs with tea in various locations. What type of Mm -hmm. customs have you experienced? So many, because every single, not just tea origin, but it seems that every single culture almost in the whole world has a custom of their own that they've either created or inherited. So even here in the U.S., we have a strong culture of iced tea in the South you know, sweet tea, iced tea, sitting around a front porch with some friends and having some time to relax. 
And a lot of us here in the U.S. also have a British tea tradition that we've inherited from, most people will tell you from their grandmother, (laughs) where we (laughs) drink black tea with milk and something sweet to eat out of a porcelain teapot. And again, it's that time to sit down and connect and to share some time with somebody. But some of the, you know, ones that are a little bit more different from what we have here, I really have loved the Moroccan tea ceremony and the Moroccan tea culture. I've I loved Moroccan tea when I was there. Yes. It's so special and it's so, it's so intriguing and it's so exotic and there's something really enlivening about the mint and then the sugar and just all the sensory excitement that is Morocco comes through in the Moroccan tea. So I have another platform called Tea Huntress and I lead retreats and I pour tea ceremony and really I teach people about ritual and I bring people the experience of tea and the ritual of tea through that. That's so cool. So for that, I do a retreat every year in Marrakesh and pour Moroccan tea ceremony. So I've had a really great opportunity, even though they don't grow tea in Morocco, to go there and to experience that culture and to be able to bring it back to people. And now even to take people there and let them experience it for themselves. Well, that tradition is all about friendship and welcoming people. So the tribes that came into Morocco, the Berber tribes that came in across the desert on the trading routes had tea from China. They had sugar from the Silk Route and the other trading routes. And they would get then herbs from the mountains and the Atlas Mountains. And they would create this really vital, healthy concoction, which now we know is Moroccan mint tea. But it wasn't just mint. It was artemisia and sage and you know, any other wild, potent botanicals that they could find in the mountains. And those things kept them healthy, but it became to be a sign of friendship and welcoming. So you could, if you, the tradition says, if you have three cups of tea with somebody, then they're your friend and you can trust them. So that was important when, you know, when people were traveling in caravans through vast deserts to know that they could trust the people that they were having tea with. Yeah. So I love the tradition of that and that it's pretty casual and it's all about friendship and welcoming and, you know, with the sugar in it and the mint, it's not quite as serious. But I also love to share the tradition of Cha Dao, which is something I've only been practicing in the last few years, but that's a tea ceremony. And I have a teacher in Taiwan who, his name is Wuda, and he has an organization called Global Tea Hut. But he's in an old lineage of the way of tea, Cha Dao. So I've practiced and trained with him and am able to pour tea ceremony in his lineage, his tradition, for people also on retreat. I have never heard of that particular tea tradition. How does that work? So if you've heard of the way of tea or the tea ceremony, maybe you've heard of it in the Japanese tradition. Yeah. The Japanese tea ceremony is different, but the... The essence behind it is the same. So the actions are different. The teaware is different. Even the tea that you share is different. But it's all about connecting with self. It's about connecting to your highest self and divinity, connecting to nature. And it's a really, it's a meditation. Okay. It's a practice. It's a meditation. It's a Tao. So in the Japanese tradition, you hear of the way of tea. There's the way of the bow or archery. There's the way or the Tao of calligraphy, there's the Tao of flower arranging. So there are many practices, much like how people practice yoga. So something that you do regularly that connects you to your body and to spirit and helps keep you on track. 
Where has been your favorite place to travel? Mm. I, you know, that's such a hard question to answer because there's so many amazing places. <laughs> Let me tell you a few. Um, Sri Lanka is the first place that I ever went to see a tea garden. So it has a special place in my heart for that. And it's, I love the people there and it's just beautiful. But there's something about China that's so old and the culture there and the way that they revere tea. And there's so much, especially in Yunnan, China, that is just really special. That's where the old tea trees are still living. And, right. and then I guess Morocco. There's something so just alive about Morocco and sensual. And you really can get lost there in a good way. I've been to 10 countries at this point, And Morocco is just... It's at the top of the list. There's just something mm. about Morocco and the culture and the people and mm-hmm. the color and the mosaics. Mm-hmm. And you can it's still so go. Yeah. And you can still go into the Sahara for the night. And it's the mm-hmm. quietest place that I've ever been in my life. Oh, I know. It's A night in the amazing. desert is something everybody needs to put on their list. You just you can't describe that to people. No. Um, I wish I yeah. wish it wasn't a full moon so that I could see the stars a little better when I was there. Oh, but, oh right. But it was, it was just, it's an experience like none other. It is. It's so peaceful and vast. I, last time I was there, I went, like you said, after the retreat was over, I went to this desert camp just by myself yeah. and sat out there as the sun went down over the Atlas mountains with a bottle of Moroccan red wine mm-hmm. and some bites that they had brought and I just sat there in the absolute peace and quiet and looked out over the sun setting over the purple mountains and oh it was so amazing. So what can our listeners do to join your mission to be part of what you learn to maybe experience a retreat in country with you? All of the teas are available at firepot.com and that's where you'll find our microbrew chai and all of the loose leaf teas. We have a great line of tea bags called the rituals collection and then if you want to go a little bit deeper and learn about ritual and join me at origin and on retreat you can go to teahuntress.com that was sarah scarborough founder and co-owner of firepot nomadic teas postcards from the road is a production of wamc northeast public radio I am your host and producer, Elizabeth Hill. Our theme music is Cherry Blossom Wonders by Kevin McLeod. As always, if you like what you hear, subscribe on your audio app of choice. Visit wamcpodcasts.org for more information. If you would like to share your travel story with WAMC, email us at postcards at wamc.org.